Hi everyone and welcome to the Loopcast. So today I'm very happy to have three guests on the show from a really fantastic organization that started, um, if I'm correct, this February. Um, it's very, very interesting. We are going to post the link to the organization with this talk so that our listeners can learn about it for themselves. But I'm happy to have three participants in Extreme Dialogue out of Canada. And our three guests today are Christiane Boudreau, Rachel Briggs, and Daniel Gallant. And Rachel Briggs is a senior fellow at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue out of the UK. And Daniel is an established anti-violence activist and a counselor and researcher. And Christiane is the mother of Damien Claremont, who was sadly killed um, during rebel fighting in Syria. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, Rachel, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about Extreme Dialogue and what you are doing with this organization and why it's so important? Thanks, Chelsea, and thank you for having us, us on the, the Loopcast. Um, Extreme Dialogue really is it's a movement for change. Um, we launched it in Canada almost two weeks ago, on the 17th of February, and it's a campaign to get young people thinking about and talking about extremism. Um, you know, we know that young people are being exposed to extremist propaganda. You know, it's all over the Internet. Organizations such as um, ISIS through to neo-Nazi movements, they are incredibly adept at spreading propaganda online, radicalizing online, recruiting online. Um, in, in many ways, most of them give us a masterclass in how to use the Internet, how to use social media platforms to tactical advantage. And Extreme Dialogue is a, a campaign which is which is an attempt to fight back, to fight back for the hearts and minds of our young people. Um, we know we can't stop young people seeing this content online, but what we hope we can do through Extreme Dialogue is through the stories of real people who've been touched by violent extremism and through some education resources, that we can help young people to think through these issues for themselves, to talk through these issues for themselves, and in doing so, equip them with the skills, with the capacities, and with the judgment that they will need um, so that they can see propaganda for exactly what it is, propaganda, when they come across it online. And looking over your site, it's it's really fantastic what you're doing. And our listeners that are avid listeners will know that we've done a lot of shows on um, terrorism and, of course, Syria and ISIS, as well as countering violent extremism. But it's really nice to see something that's actually in the works, um, on the ground, trying to tackle this issue um, through many different communities, different religions, different um, across borders. It's not just ISIS that we see all over the news today, but there are many, many, as you just alluded to, Ms. Briggs, many, many other um, ways of having extremism in your life. So what are some of the tools that you're offering? How are you going about with these teaching tools that you have on the website? Well, I think it's just to say, just to underline that point you've just made, which is, you know, extremisms come in many different shapes and sizes and they affect all communities across all countries. And 
Um, to ignore that fact is, is to really leave ourselves open in a way that, that of course, we shouldn't do. Um, in terms of what we've created, I guess there are three elements to extreme dialogue. The first is a series of incredibly powerful um, films, each of which tells the story of an individual who've been touched by um, violent extremism. And I will leave Christiane and Daniel to tell their own stories. And the reason we wanted to use real people um, was because we understand that you reach people's heads through their hearts. You, And also because we know that young people can see spin a mile off and they don't like it. And so what we wanted to do was to give real people, um, unscripted, completely raw, the chance to tell their stories. And at completely out of our hands as organisers, they, they worked with our filmmakers to make um, genuinely important um, films to convey um, what they have been through as individuals. And the films are, I guess, step one. The films we hope will be a, be something that kind of, lights that flame of thinking, lights that flame of, of consideration um, that gets people interested in talking about this stuff. The second resource that we have on the website is um, is a series of education resources, each of which wraps around one of those films. And we did this because we know that teachers are nervous about talking about extremism. They ner- They worry that they will offend somebody, that they will get something wrong, that they won't have all of the answers to to the questions that young people raise with them. We know that and we understand that. So what we wanted to do was to create a set of compelling and interesting resources that teachers can use in the classroom, that youth workers can use in a community setting, that gives them a safe way of, of, of with young people working through um, some of those discussions that they need to have. The third element of extreme dialogue is, is I think, really important. And I think it's where a lot of these efforts fall short. You know, we we celebrate the fact that um, young people are idealists and that they are passionate and that um, they they get very driven um, by the wrongs that they see in the world and they want to do something about it. And um, we know that... Um, that, that, that the best thing to do in that situation is to actually give them something positive to do, to, to create opportunities for them to channel those energies in a positive direction rather than either ignore that they don't exist or, or to try and sort of dampen them. Um, and so in an attempt to, to start to harness that energy, um, we also on Extreme Dialogue signpost young people to practical things that they can do, whether at a local level, a national level or at an international level, um, so that they can do something about um, some of the issues that are raised in the films um, in, in a real and in a tangible way. And I think that's absolutely fantastic, because if you look at a lot of the cases, um, for instance, I understand the cases much more of Syria from my own research, but a lot of the initial spark to go to Syria comes from this desire to help. They see what's going on there and they're torn up. I mean, anyone that sees what's been taking place in Syria for the last number of years has that feeling. It's been horrible. And as you said, young people have that desire to want to make a bad situation good. They want to do something. So um, I really think what you're doing is fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Christiane, why don't we hear your story? Because as Miss Briggs just alluded to, this is um, 
about the stories. It's the stories that help show people affected by this as well as their own lives affected by this. And I think the personal side of it is what's very important for people to see. Well, for us, it was very important because my younger son is actually, he participated in the making of the film as well. And it finally gave him a voice to express the sadness and the pain that impacted his life. And what we want to do is try to make sure that we could try to reach out as, to as many young people as we could as well. These types of tools weren't around. When I was raising my older son, Damien, and I kind of wished that they'd been there, I can see the power and I can see that it could have helped direct him in, in a positive direction and give him some ideas of what would work. So that was my biggest piece right there. Um, and I really felt positively about the ideas with the resources and talking about it. So many people are afraid to talk about anything these days, especially with the taboo and stigma that's around it. And we need to lift that and start bringing it up more in the open because that's the only way we're going to be able to tackle it. And I'm sure going through this for you was one of the most hardest things ever. Um, and as you said, there is this taboo um, that you have to deal with as well. And and as you mentioned, there weren't the resources for you to go to. You wish you wish there were. But creating a resource also for parents. I know you're involved in another organization that helps parents that have been affected by this as well, which... Um, Tell me a bit about that experience as well. Well, when we went through it back then in 2012, it was a relatively new mode of extremism that we here in Canada weren't aware of. We were completely blind to it. And again, when Rachel says we've got to look at all forms of extremism, because if we tunnel vision onto one, then we we leave the other areas open. Um, and that's not good either. So it's important to have that balance. But not being aware of that type, not having the resources, when we went through it, we were very alone. And it was scary, and we didn't know where to turn. I didn't know how to get the extra help and resources for my younger son. And it, it can create a ripple effect, where in turn he grows up and ends up trying to do the same sort of thing or follow that same path. So having those resources, having the support anything, I realized the importance of it. Just connecting with other parents in my healing process has really helped, whereas going to psychologists alone just doesn't cut it. So going through that and trying to reach out was important for me to try to bring other programs here to support other parents that are going through the same thing. So Hyatt Canada Family Support was something I brought back from Germany, and then the Mothers for Life group is also something I'm working in coordination with Daniel Kohler in Germany to support the mothers that are suffering that need a place to have a voice. And I think seeing other stories, um, the other mothers that you've been speaking to, there tend to be connections in the sense of reasons people go down that path. And from these stories and these individuals that have touched your life, what are the stories that you've heard from other mothers that have gone through this that ring true to your experience? Well, what we notice is we all come from a completely cultural, different cultural background. We all have different religious and faiths. Some of us are single, we're single parents. Some are happy families that have been together all along. 
different amounts of, you know, the economic status is different for all of us. So we see that none of that plays a, a part in it at all. And basically, when our sons or daughters were going through something frustrating in their life, that they didn't feel like they had any empowerment, they were an easy target. And vulnerable to these people trying to strengthen their groups for their own power and greed. And looking at Damien's story, you talk about in these videos on Extreme Dialogue, which I really hope our listeners will watch. Um, they're very, very, get ready, um, very, very touching, um, as well as very honest. And, and for both you and Daniel, I thank you for being so honest, because it's, it's very hard to open up like that. But looking at Damien's story, you talk about how he had a rich love for learning and that you saw this and, and in a sense that took him down this path um, when he found Islam, which, you know, you saw as a very good, positive thing in his life at the time. And you describe that he almost, it almost seems like he was trying to find himself. And that seems to be something in a lot of cases that the search for themselves, that as you said, people are vulnerable and they end up finding the wrong group of people. So I was wondering if we could discuss that slightly. Well, basically with Damien, he had a lot of struggles with regards to um, injustices, authorities, he had, had issues with that. And he really had a big heart for women and children, people that were picked on. And he also had difficulty fitting in with his peers because of his education. He was so curious. He would seek out different information and felt very difficult for him to fit in and have these discussions. He was much more comfortable with adults. So going through school, that identity crisis was also there. And the biggest part I found was trying to find the resources to support him, guide him, and get him back on the right path weren't there. When he found that faith, for him, it was very grounding. It helped bring him back to, he found a focus again. And for three years, it was a peaceful focus. It was a positive focus. Just happened that he crossed that wrong person at that wrong time that was able to take that vulnerability within him and manipulate it. And that could easily happen to anybody and with any extremist group. If they see that vulnerable point within somebody, that's when they're going to try to rein them in. And that curiosity that he had, that love for learning, when they start saying, well, you need to look this up, look this up, look this up, and you go online, and there's loads and tons of information there, false information that you gather that reinforces everything that the initial person tells you. And I'm sure that even now, as you talk to us, you're, you're constantly, constantly reliving this, which I have to say you're very brave to put yourself through this, but I, under, I can understand why you are, because from this experience, you have the opportunity to bring so much to other people. I was wondering if we could talk about that a bit, because you're a very brave woman. I, I take my hat off to you. Thank you. Um, basically, in the beginning, what it started was I was just frustrated and not being able to get help from my younger son and feeling helpless and determined to change things. And the fact that we didn't have the awareness and we were blindsided by everything, not being able to have those tools, it's very important for other parents to have something to be able to work with the changing world that we have today. 
and not having that awareness, not having those tools and resources. It's, it's not equipping us with enough. We need more because so many outside environmental issues, school, other impactful peers, speeches that you're going to hear somewhere and the internet, we have no control over any of that. And there's so many other factors that change the way that our children see things as they're growing up that don't come from us. So it was important for me to try to change it as part of my healing process as well. Once we started going down that path, even my younger son said, mom, we've got to do something so that other people don't lose their brothers. It hurts too much. So I took that and ran with it as a part of healing, as connecting and trying to reach out and change it. It needs to change. And I'm just very determined at alerting everybody, this is happening and we have to come together, find those resources, build them to educate our children. And why don't we move on to you, Daniel, because you have another very compelling, fascinating story. And why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your experience? So um, my, my experience started far before my exposure to extremist groups. Um, coming from a traumatic background with social a uh, form of social, social isolation, I, I was constantly seeking out um, some sort of connection and uh, relationships with people or, or concepts. I ended up going into the extremist uh, literature quite extensively because of it gave me that identity and, and a, a, a formation of where I, I belong in the world and what my position was and fulfilled a, a purpose and a meaning. Um, but not, of course, not everyone has that same experience. Um, I, I know I've known many people who come from uh, solid families and good backgrounds that also um, end up being sucked into the, the extremist narratives as well. So um, it's not necessarily one way or the other. I, as I was growing up um, within a, a violent culture, I guess, or a violent household, I ended up leaving home early. I went to the streets at a young age. Um, I got, I was in, in and out of uh, institutions for a number of years. Um, I spent a, close to three years um, within different types of facilities locked up by age 17, um, two years, the last two years were in, in a juvenile, uh, facilities. The, the return back to the streets and homelessness and in, in that, uh, lifestyle, uh, resulted in me being intersected with some, uh, white supremacist skinheads who had migrated out west from eastern Canada after there was a big crackdown on uh, violent extremist the right wing within the Toronto and Ontario uh, at large. Um, so uh, that's where I was introduced and, and within that whole piece, as I said, the belonging and, and identity really came into play. I, I absorbed myself into the literature 
um, other propaganda, including music. Um, I then was introduced to the internet at uh, about 1996 and um, started recruiting people through the use of the internet and networking with different groups and, and moving between uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Northern British Columbia, and Vancouver <clears throat> in a large geographical triangle and, and, and recruiting and so forth within there. Um, that whole piece came to an end um, about near 10 years later uh, where I had a series of experiences um, which led to some s small fractions of time of, uh, call it an epiphany or a realization, if you will, and that combined with, uh, with my social, social setting, I, I, I was just in a bad s space and I sought help. Um, there was no help available, uh, like Christiane uh, had indicated. If if help was around at different times, there there may have been uh, in intersections where things could have been been different. But nonetheless, when I when I did seek help, um, I wasn't looking to leave the movement or or anything like that. Um, but through talking and working with counselors, it was suggested that I use education to challenge my belief structures if I wanted to survive um, because I was pretty dead set on, on a martyr complex um, and for, for the purpose of the movement and how I identified myself. So through, through, the following eight years, it took me to complete an undergraduate degree in working within human services fields, um, working with populations of people that I had previously targeted in order to understand uh, my place, um, became really profound in, in the shift that I've had um, in, in conjunction with the education and as well as the influence of Cree or First Nations culture um, and communities that accepted accepted me and, and showed me the compassion and the love that I needed. And I believe that that's, for me, that's one of the fundamental aspects of the, my participation within the films is that the demonstration that for my understanding as a former extremist, relationships are at the core of, of what this is, a, of what the issue is and how to counter the issue. Um, and, and it's in that, that I was able to find, find healing. And that, that's pretty much, uh, the film's not as long as I just talked. So <laughs> I, I, I gave you a little bit more there, but that's, that's the, uh, the basics of it all. No, but I find in the films and, and what you just said, this idea of a connection or a community, the need for a group, um, I find that very strong across a lot of different cases of extremism, whether it's yours, Daniel, or um, cases of Syrian fighters and so forth. Um, do you think that's one of the core 
core issues at hand here, this need to belong to something, as well as a need to belong to something that has in an individual's mind a high purpose. My, my understanding today is that I, I believe that everything we do is is socially linked, so it is based on that need. Um, but there's also an, an internal piece where it is about identity and meaning and purpose. And and I believe that if if we can facilitate and contribute, like a, like I believe we have in in this project in in these films, is a way for people to to see that you can take suffering and turn that into a meaning and purpose in a compassionate way or, or a way that fosters relationships and, and grounds us with one another, then, then we have a better chance at, at facing these things. And in regards to the prevention piece, I, I think that's, that's essential. Um, I, I don't want to uh, sound rhetorical or anything, but when, when we're, when we're children, that's all we need, right? Are, are, are those connections and, and we don't lose that need. It's just how we identify with that and what we attach to later on. And, um, un- unfortunately we, times are moving pretty fast and we have to play catch up a little bit in a lot of, a lot of different ways. And, and I believe that this project and others that are going on within the larger network of that Rachel and and others are managing is essential to to the future of of our society. I I believe there's a a larger picture that this stuff is participating in and and I believe that the main context of all of that has to do with relationships. So yeah, that's that's my perspective. And Rachel, I would love if you could elaborate on that because I think what Daniel just said is very true to form. So let's look at that in conjunction with extreme dialogue. Mm. I, th- I mean, I think Daniel's really hit it on the head there. You know, relationships are the are the, the start and the end of, of all of this. And, you know, relationships can be the source of the best things that happen in our lives, but relationships can also be the source of some of the worst things that happen in our lives, unfortunately. And, you know, what, you know, it's really at the heart of what we're trying to do with extreme dialogue, because um, our thinking was, and I think we're right in this, our thinking was, you need to get people thinking, then you need to get people talking. And in thinking and talking, you build those relationships. Um, If you haven't spoken to kids about this stuff, if you if it's something that as as Chris said is a taboo, um, it doesn't get talked about. It's something that you kind of turn away when the subject matter comes up on the telly. Um, if you if you if you haven't started the conversation, by the time that a young person sees their first piece of propaganda online or starts talking about this kind of stuff with somebody they meet, if you haven't had that conversation already, if it feels like it's a taboo, they won't come to you to talk about it. The the, the relationship that you may have with them as a parent or as a teacher or as an aunt or an uncle or a youth worker will have broken down within the context of, of, of this particular problem. And 
so what we really are trying to do is it's not just a website it's not just resources it's something that we hope will 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 start to connect people because we need to get people thinking we need to get people talking we need to stop people being worried about tackling these issues and and i think you know all of the daniel is absolutely right all of the evidence tells us that relationships are what gets people into this and relationships is what people is what gets them out as well and I, our conviction is that it will be relationships that will prevent any of that happening in the first place and we very sincerely hope that extreme dialogue can be one of many many things that um, can play a positive make a positive contribution to to stopping young people making those choices and daniel and christian watching your stories through the videos both of you at one point or another alluded to anger being a part of action so with daniel your anger led you partly to your, towards your um path of extremism and then christian christian your anger kicked you into action to help do something that might prevent your story happening again to someone else. So I was wondering if we could look at this idea of anger as a catalyst. Um, why don't we let Christiane go first? Well, I think because it's such a strong emotion and we all need an outlet for any of those strong emotions. We need to find a way to, to let them out. We can't keep them in. And the biggest thing is being able to find a productive, positive way to, util to utilize that energy. And to bring it full around so that it's in doing some good from other people. And sometimes, especially as a young person, that's difficult. We feel that frustration, that anger, and we don't know how to utilize it. And, and other people do, and they can show us how. But in, in my perspective, for our family, I want to use it in a positive way to teach my younger children that this is what you do with your anger to channel it in a, in a good way. And Daniel? Yeah, a anger definitely uh, motivated me to in, into the the awful actions that that I I did. Um, but it, it it also became my 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 weapon against my my own doings. I guess um, anger is a motivation that that keeps me going on on the path that I am on. Um, in in regards to that I, I'm open and vulnerable in, in asserting that I'm either hurt or I'm angry about certain things. And if I if I'm getting a call from a, a kid in foster care who's who's in in an, a tremendously horrible situation, I I will utilize and and that anger to motivate me to affect change in that child's life. Um, that that was only made possible through my own process of healing and particularly with education and and the the ability to to form thoughts and 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 reasoning in order to express myself articulately rather than being frustrated and not knowing what to do with that internal energy i i can now build uh, responses uh, to what's going on. 
Um, I was a fighter when I was young. I survived horrible things. Uh, I, I survived and fought my way through the streets. And I, I ended up fighting and surviving my way through m- becoming a perpetrator into the work that I'm doing now. And, and I haven't necessarily stopped fighting, but the way that's done and the process it's done is fundamentally different where there's no violence and it's through the assertion of, of reasoning and logic that things are, 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 are channeled to. And, and I think that's essential. And one of the things I've heard Rachel say many times over is that these films offer opportunity for critical thinking through the application of using this as a resource, as a starting point. And, and I, I believe that that opportunity is, is one of the core pieces that the angered from both myself and Christiane and anyone else who's been impacted from violent extremism or violence who's involved with this project and has been involved with this project, all of that anger combined has created something that is good. And, and, and so the anger, anger is not the issue. It's what we do with that. Right. So, yeah. And I think that's fantastic because as you said, out of these very sad and horrible experiences, you are creating something good out of it, which a lot of people don't necessarily get to that point. And this organization that you've created and, especially the use of films, I find a fantastic way because it, it's a personal it's a personal way of connecting and, and it goes back to this whole idea of connecting and being part of something, which Daniel alluded to as well as Christiane. And I think the media medium of film is a fantastic way to make it personal. Um, you watch the films and you feel like you're in the room with you. Um, I would like to look at this idea a bit, and I think especially films out there on the internet, on YouTube, on your website, are very needed to counter the dialogue that we, the dialogues, should I say, that we already have on the internet of extremist views. There are other things to watch, so there's this side of it, the positive side. So let's look at that a bit. The I, I just want to add that um, since the films came out and, and the amount of people that have contacted me directly um, that are are openly discussing some things that were not necessarily being discussed in particular communities beforehand, um, this has already made a difference. Um, it, I, I know that there's schools that have contacted me that have are are going to be incorporating um, the films in, in in lieu of having a real person, so that makes it available to communities that wouldn't necessarily have it before. Um, and also contacted by an, a northern community that has a a local extremist um, that's caused quite a few issues lately, and through the dissemination of of extreme dialogue. That community is already talking differently about the way they're going to be interacting with this individual, 
And to me, that is that speaks hugely to the impact of the the realness or the the rawness of of both sets of these films, um, and, and and this project all altogether. That it, it it doesn't necessarily have this the limitation of the reach that that it was intended for. Can I just can I just add something there because I think there's I think there's two two really important ingredients here, which um, you know film can be a very very immediate medium. It can it can tell a story in a way that that other mediums just can't. But you know I think the reason that there are two reasons I think that that the films on extreme dialogue are so powerful. One is because we have amazing people who have been willing to take part in them who went into the process we you know jumped in with both feet and were willing to give of themselves and the films just wouldn't have the impact that they have if if we didn't have people like Christiane and Daniel who were willing to give themselves to the project and and be a part of it and the second is that that we've worked with quite amazing filmmakers a company called Duck Rabbit who are based in London but work internationally and um you know they have a very particular style of working which is to let the film subjects do the talking and they were very clear with us they didn't want any messaging they didn't want any interference in the film pro- in the filmmaking process it was about letting those individuals just tell their story and you know film can be really powerful but you know there are so many films out there as well that i have seen that that don't have that immediacy that don't have that that impact because they try to message they try to preach they they kind of try to stage manage and i think you know one thing that for us as a as a sort of a collective bringing this together was really important was was uh, we had a very very strong belief that personal stories if just told with authenticity and in an unscripted way would be the most powerful way to reach people and i think you know having those fantastic film participants and and working with really top of their game filmmakers um was 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 such an important element of the success of this project and christian and daniel what was it like being part of this, being the person filmed and opening up to pretty much the world? Um, how about we'll let Christian go first? Uh, it was quite exhausting. Um, we had the guys in from Duck Rabbit for about a week, and morning till evening would go hard at it. And a lot of times we'd have to do another take again just because the emotions were so overwhelming of reliving everything. And you started to forget that you were even in front of the camera. You were just feeling what you were feeling and letting it out, just getting it out there and letting it out. And at the end of the day, it was so draining, but rewarding because we were getting, we were feeling our emotions, letting them be felt, acknowledging them and trying to see that, okay, they're negative. It's, it was a bad thing that happened to us, but maybe by being so honest and truthful we can help somebody else. So to see the finished product after all of it, it was really difficult, even still is difficult for me to watch them because it still affects me that way to see it out there, to see just how much it impacted us. And other people may be feeling that same way and just don't know how to reach out, 
how to tell their story so they can start to heal. And I think that's part of the beauty of these films. Um, they really, they do, they touch you. I mean, it's impossible not to watch them and listen to both of your stories and, and not be touched and have no emotion. I mean, they're very emotional. Uh, Daniel, what was it like for you? The the experience overall was phenomenal in, in regards to the what I was saying earlier about relationships. Um, I've been able to form further relationships as a result of the whole process. Um, I've Benjamin, Peter, and Rajabul, who are the the camera crew, um, the the filmmakers. They they are they're amazing guys, um, and I I feel like I've been able to participate in something that that they too have a relationship with and, and working in nonprofit sector and so forth. Um, and within universities, often things are very mechanical. So this whole process was very natural and very, I, I'm, I was just very pleased to be a part of this whole experience. And, and I, I'm just grateful for it. it I, I can't even, I don't know how to articulate necessarily how this has impacted me in regards to the purpose of doing this, being relationships, and what got me out and to help others, but also the way it was done was all about relationships. So, so I'm just very pleased about it all. I agree with that too because Luke formed a bond with one of the guys and just to see that it, it was such a wonderful thing and they were so conscientious of everything we were feeling too. It wasn't we're here to do this and it's a bunch of work and, and we're going to drive you. They were really aware of what we were feeling. They were really in touch with everything and you could feel that bond and that connection and didn't feel threatened in any way. So looking at extreme dialogue in the big picture, and I'd love each and every one of you to answer this in your own, in your own way. Um, what would be the ultimate outcome that you'd like to achieve with this project? So Rachel, why don't we let you go first? Well, you know, this is not an academic project. Um, this is, this is it. We want to change lives with this. And I think we have to, we have to aim that high and, you know, I, I don't just want this in every single school in Canada and every other country that will have it. You know, that would be a sort of a measurable outcome, if, if you like. Um, but I want I want I want kids to actually be watching it. I want it to be touching them. I want it to be sparking them to think differently, to have conversations, to and I, I want it to um, to genuinely prevent the next generation of young people making um, the mistakes that thankfully still only a tiny, tiny minority of, of young people do. Um, you know, we're, this is not academic. We're in the business of changing lives here. And, you know, this, this is what I think counter extremism has to look like in practice. Very much so. Uh, Daniel, how about you? In, in the grand scheme of things, what I would like to see these films do is to pr provide an opportunity for people to 
be cognizant of of the children around us um, and 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 the relationship we have with children who may be uh, distraught or 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 that sort of troubled um, and not that it applies to both my story and uh, Christiane's son Damien, but being aware of our peers to the degree that we're emotionally connected with them so we can gauge to see who needs who who needs those connections and and as community members giving giving to that and and I say this as my 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 ultimate ideal for for the films because within the first 4 days of these films being launched I got an email from a family uh, a mother and and two children who were discussing the film after watching it and it was precisely what they drew from it about how fortunate they are in their own lives and the the children that they see around them how they can give back to those children what they've been receiving in their own home so that to me is the most profound impact that I think that this can have and 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 directly in ripple effect will have positive outcomes. Christian? I completely agree with Rachel. I want to see this everywhere. I want to see everybody watching, taking it in and, and really letting it soak in enough so that it helps change their minds so the youth don't go down this path so nobody else has to experience this pain. And I agree with Daniel as well. But the other aspect of it is media points so much focus and attention on these youngsters and the destruction that they're doing and how negative everything is. And what I'm hoping that people see is that we all start off as human beings, all with feelings. We're all real people behind this and we're all impacted in one way or another, whether it's indirectly or directly. And we really have to be more sensitive to those around us to build those stronger communities to realize that we all need each other to work together instead of just pitting the finger and segregating ourselves. We need to stop being afraid and really start digging in and understanding that and realizing it. Technology, I think, has kind of cut us off from that humanistic side, and I'm hoping this will bring, help bring it back. And I think right there that's a huge, important part of this like you said you we see on the news all the time about another young person that has gone to Syria um, and it's almost like we automatically demonize them because we think oh how can they go over there and do the things that they're doing however these are individuals and if we disengage from the human side of it and just look at them as non-individuals right there we're part of the problem so I think what you touched on is very important to countering extremism in every single form and every single walk of life, community, religion, and so forth. Um, Rachel, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that, because as you did allude to in the start of the talk, this is um, across borders, across communities, every education level, um, level of income and so forth. Yeah. I mean, look, no, nobody is immune to this, unfortunately, and it touches all communities um, you know, Chris Chris can speak from her own experience of talking to other mothers who've been through what she has. As she said herself, you know, 
they're different religions, they're different income brackets, they're different locations. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a, un- unfortunately, there's a universality of, of this problem. You know, the, the humanizing aspect here is absolutely critical. You know, if this, if this, and this, this is a bigger issue than just about extremism. You know, if there's one thing that I find uh, really, really challenging and difficult, it's the fact that every time we talk about any aspect of foreign or security policy, we talk about it as if it's a game of macro geopolitical chess. Um, with big men kind of controlling big levers. And actually what we forget is that it's not about that at all. You know, for, for, for every, for, for the, co- you look at the conflict in Syria, I mean, this is impacting on real people. It's, you know, the, these foreign policy and security policy challenges are in people's living rooms. Um, and, you know, we have to, we have to cut through some of this nonsense about the sort of the, the big game that gets played. This is actually about, all it is about is about ordinary people whose lives are torn apart um, by bad things. And, you know, injecting that human level of analysis, I think will actually lead us to far more sensible policymaking. And I guess, you know, that's, it has to be, it has to be sort of central to the way that we do prevention work. You can't do it in any other way. But I, I would, I would argue that actually that kind of perspective applied not just through the prevention, but in the the sort of the response um, side as well would, would lead us to a much more fruitful um, policy outcome than, than perhaps we have uh, today in, in, in response to, to many different forms of extremism around the world. So to bring this talk to a conclusion, we generally like to give our guests a moment to maybe touch on something that we might not have touched on or a final thought that might be with you. So I'd love to open the floor to each one of you. So, Christiane, why don't we open the floor to you first? I'm just really happy that this program is out there now and it's one other tool and resource in in the belt of a parent to start moving forward and start bringing about change. And hopefully communities all around us will start realizing that we as people have to take some sort of responsibility to step up to the plate and start looking at things differently. Instead of being afraid and shutting ourselves down and placing judgment to keep everything away from ourselves, we have to start taking part in a more responsible, caring way. We are humans. We're forgetting it. It is so important, and we do need to reach out to our children, even if they're not our own, and try to bridge those gaps and make those changes for our youth because they are our future, and there's so much there that we keep leaving on the table. And because we're leaving it on the table, that's why they're so easy to be gotten to. And it's up to us as a, as a whole world to make these peaceful changes. And going along the whole idea of ladies first, I will pass it on to Rachel now. <laughs> I wondered who you were going to go to then. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, I guess, I want to, um, I want to end by just saying two things really, which are um, some asks, right? I mean, this is a this is a campaign. You don't have a campaign without asking people to do something, right? And you know, my my first ask is that this is not a completed campaign. Um, we are still looking for additional amazing film subjects. 
And so we want to be in touch with anybody who thinks they might be the next film subject, who has got some kind of personal experience of violent extremism and is willing to, to give of themselves to, to extreme dialogue. So my first ask is, if that's you, then get in touch because we want to hear from you. And my second ask, um, cognizant of the fact that this is a Washington, D.C. audience, you know, this is a campaign that started in Canada now, I know that not all Canadian imports are welcome into the United States, oh, no. <laughs> but um, what I would say is this is the one that should be. And um, this this has started in Canada, but it's 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 being spread across Europe throughout 2015. We're 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 currently in production with a number of um, films in Europe. Um, we would love the opportunity to bring this to the U.S. as well, to get this in across the U.S. school system, get communities um talking about this stuff, parents talking to their kids around the, the breakfast um, table um, in the US as well. So I, I make a plea to this this very special DC audience. Um, if you're interested in helping us to make the US leg of this happen, um, then we would really, really love to hear from you. And I'm glad you actually mentioned that because that was going to be one of my questions on how can individuals get involved? Because like, as you said, this is a campaign this is a campaign we've got our asks are this first view the films second share the films third lobby your schools to get these resources fourth if you are teachers and youth workers come to us and ask for training and fifth come to us and be our next film subject so we we are this is a this is a movement we can't do this on our own this isn't about us doing it. It's about working in partnership. And as Daniel has, has said, you know, we have been overwhelmed with the response that we've had to this so far, not just tens and tens and tens of thousands of, of people viewing the videos in just a week and a half, um, but actually families getting in touch with us, um, individuals getting in touch with us, people wanting to fundraise for us, people wanting to make donations and give of their expertise to us, the, the schools wanting to use this stuff. This is, this is, this, we can only achieve the this very lofty and practical aims that we've outlined to you if, if people were, are willing to work in partnership with us. We've got great partners like Duck Rabbit and the Foundation for Peace who have made the education resources, but we rely on many, many thousands of other partners willing to work with us now to, to take this to, to a whole new level. And Daniel, last but not least, um, we've let the ladies have their say, so <laughs> I will open the floor to you. Um, well, I, I, I guess the in, in closing, I would add that um, former extremists, uh, violent people, gang members, what it, whoever, we're all people. Um, we we have the need for belonging. There is a possibility for change. Um, I, I know all too often we believe that people can't change or can't change very far, but there are through, through networks like the organization that Rachel works with. I've met people from across the world who've been impacted by extremism and have anger, but put that towards compassion and connectivity and, and, and positivity. And, and this movement, as, as Rachel put it, is, is about our, our similarities that we have as human beings. And, and that's the, the core piece of this. And 
the, the change that us humans are capable of doing is profound. And, and that's where I'd like to, to leave off. Well, I want to thank each one of you for coming on the show and spending time with us to talk about Extreme Dialogue. It's absolutely fantastic what you're doing, and I wish you all the best of luck because it's very important, and I want you to know that I'm very honored to hear your stories as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And Thanks for having I also oh, – go ahead. Sorry, Rachel. I just said thank you very much for having us. We really appreciate it. And I also just want to say thank you to Henry Tuck, who's also from Strategic Dialogue with Rachel. Um, he was amazing with coordinating this talk over four different time zones. So a shout out to him. <laughs> Absolutely. 